0: Hi everybody, Liam here. So, a few weeks ago, I was getting ready to give a presentation about Emeryville history when a guy came up to me before the event and handed me a big envelope with my name on it. We talked for a minute, but I had to start the show, so I threw the envelope in my bag and forgot about it for a few days. When I eventually opened it, there was a thin book inside just called Hercules. The cover was one of those yellowish photos with a bunch of like old west looking factory workers, most of them with mustaches and dirty aprons. I knew that Hercules was a small town up in Contra Costa County, right on the water, and that it was named after a brand of dynamite, but that's about it. So I flipped through the book, and right away, this old advertisement for the dynamite business which was called Hercules Powder Company, grabbed my attention. The ad shows a muscular man who kind of looks like a statue of a Greek god, and he's in a forest-type setting. He's bent over, and he's holding up this giant platform. And on top of the platform is like a train and a giant ship and a factory with old-school smokestacks and a skyscraper that kind of looks like the Empire State Building. It's a striking image, but what really made me want to learn more was the text in the upper right-hand corner of the ad. Here's what it said. Mother Earth has been kind to our country. With lavish hand, she has bestowed upon us mineral wealth. Our industrial strength springs from this gift of hers, and our military strength is dependent on it. Our ships, our railroads, our great steel mills and iron foundries, our mammoth buildings are all born in our minds. It is to our original sources of iron, copper, zinc, lead and coal and other minerals that we owe our eminent position among the nations. The Hercules Powder Company creates the forces ...that tear these minerals from the imprisoning rock and earth. Yeah, I'd uh, never really thought that much about explosives before. But the world we live in now, it simply wouldn't exist without them. For centuries, the only explosives had been this kind of primitive stuff called black powder... But then in the mid-1800s, right around the time California was becoming a state, this technology evolved rapidly. The new power of nitroglycerin and later dynamite enabled mining and railroads and a total reshaping of this California landscape. And of course, these explosives were used in weapons too. Not just here, but all around the world. We talk about the tech boom now, but explosives manufacturing was a huge part of the Bay area's very first technology boom, quite literally. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The guy who gave me that Hercules book was its co-author. His name is Steve Lawton. And on the morning after independence day, I went up to Hercules to record the interview you're about to hear. We had the conversation in Steve's backyard, so you'll hear some birds and other noises in the background, hope you don't mind, but I really wanted to talk there, because Steve's yard was part of the grounds where Hercules dynamite was produced for many, many decades. This is East Bay Yesterday Q&A. I'm Liam O'Donohue. Here we go. So, right around the time that California was becoming a state, nitroglycerin is being invented. The power of explosives is just increasing by magnitudes. Can you talk a little bit about how the explosion of this technology facilitated the expansion and rapid development of California as a state and the Bay Area as well?
1: The first dynamite manufacturing plant, they're called works, the first dynamite works in the world, was in the Bay Area. Uh, the license to produce Nobel dynamite was was granted to a Californian uh, who uh, built the first dynamite plant in uh, Glen Park. And that's
0: in the southern part of San Francisco, right?
1: That's right. Um, it's a, a lovely little canyon, and so you build the dynamite plant in the canyon because when it blows up, then it doesn't blow sideways. It blows straight up. So it was, you know, it was a dangerous early process. It was new technology. The plant was moved to Golden Gate Park. Those plants um, exploded a couple of times. And so the city fathers after, yeah, I think. I'm about guessing the neighbors weren't too happy about that. Well, I didn't have too many neighbors, but this the, uh, was described as the city fathers, uh, in, encouraged them to, f- to find another location. And so uh, they, they moved to the East Bay. And th- that's a, the, an early example of how the East Bay is the workshop or the shed. And the uh, San Francisco is the counting house or the head. Well, the people that owned everything and the people that counted all the money were there in San Francisco. The East Bay had the workers. East Bay had the resources, East Bay had the transportation, East Bay had the railroads. So the real work got done in Contra Costa, and it was all owned and controlled from San Francisco. The explosives plants were some of the first plants that were located along the Carquinez Strait, which through the late 19th, early 20th century, well into the 20th century, became the industrial belt of the Bay Area.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the role that explosives played in the mining industry, the gold mining industry, and uh, in the development of the Transcontinental Railroad.
1: The Great American Expansion West was occurring at a, exactly the time that high explosives were were being discovered and invented and perfected as, as tools. And so it was obvious that the big market, one of the big markets for this new technology, this new chemical, uh, would would be the West, would be California. Uh, so the, the story goes that uh, Central Pacific had a essentially a contract to drill through the Sierras and lay a railroad at a certain rate of speed. They hit the granite at the top of the hill, and it wasn't going so well. They were not going to make it that that winter. Uh, So uh, let's take a look at some advanced technology here, and and that meant drilling a hole through the top of the the tunnel and pouring nitroglycerin down. Uh, So that was the first real industrial use there may have been others but it's a notable industrial use and in the the transcontinental Railroad, the Central Pacific could not have been built in the time that it was without the assistance of nitroglycerin uh, which is the key element in dynamite um, blasting through the granite at the top of tunnel number six and this is a place that you can still visit today. You can walk through this tunnel uh, that linked the the east and the west of the United States together and see, where where that work was done, you could put your hands on it today. It's amazing.
0: And it's also amazing what an impact the decision to locate the terminus of the Transcontinental Road in Oakland had on the surrounding area. It just changed the East Bay overnight. Having the Transcontinental Railroad here, industry just exploded all around that um, because it became just a hub of global capital, shipping things in, shipping things out, and uh, really facilitated the population boom in the Bay at the time and the uh, global importance of the Bay Area as a, as a region.
1: It, it's a lot of fun to cast yourself back to the days of California before the railroad uh, this was a very difficult place to reach. It was almost like an outpost on another planet.
0: Right, this is long before the uh, Panama Canal, so people had to take a ship from the East Coast all the way around the tip of South America, and
1: some of these voyages took three, four months, right? That's right. It was a wild place, and uh, w- you know, sort of loosely connected, even after statehood, loosely connected to the United States. In uh, 1862, the commander of the port of san francisco wrote a wrote a note a telegram i guess back to the the treasury of the united states and said uh, if you don't continue to send black powder to california we are going to stop sending gold to the united states of america and that illustrates the importance of black powder explosives to the the outpost the expedition the 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 project that was to be california
0: and i know one of the reasons why the government wanted that
1: gold so bad was to finance the civil war right they wanted the gold to finance the civil war and they wanted the black powder to, to finance the civil war now at the time there was a shortage of black powder and the sort of the american history of black powder is completely connected to the dupont family uh french revolution duponts decide on uh in 1800 that uh being uh A wealthy industrialist in France was not the thing to be, and so came to America. And uh, essentially, over a period of time, the DuPont family and other families uh, monopolized the production of explosives. Explosives are a special kind of substance because they are of national significance. They are the substance that allowed, unfortunately, the West to be won. It's the substance that allowed King Leopold to perform genocide in the Congo. This was happening in the 1870s. This is happening around the world. And so really Western civilization, uh, Western countries, Western men were in the pros- active in the process of dominating the world. And this is the substance they used to do it with. So it was tremendously important globally as a strategic material, frankly, for national domination.
0: It's interesting that you put it in those terms regarding explosives as a key component of colonization, because the colonists aren't, uh, colonizers aren't only using the black powder and the explosives for the military technology, you know, bullets, weapons, etc., but also then to extract the resources of these lands that they're conquering and people that they're subjugating. Um, so you're the co-author with Jennifer Posdell of this book about the history of hercules and you and jennifer collected some amazing images that are in this volume that i want to describe what we're looking at here for the listeners and then after i kind of describe it i'd love for you to sort of translate what these images mean Mm -hmm. on this page here in the in the top ad this vintage ad for a giant powder which is a, a brand of dynamite we see a very large man uh, very well built in a uh, skimpy loin cloth and he is shaking the hand of a miner in the next ad on uh, the lower half of the page there's a picture of a uh, also a very well-built muscular man wearing a loin cloth and this guy is holding a big club and it looks like he's knocked out uh, another giant you know pulverized this guy and the caption underneath reads hercules slaying the giant we knock them all out. And this is also an ad for uh, a rival explosives company. What is the significance of the imagery in these ads? What What are they trying to convey?
1: What's going on in these ads is that a um, 19th century uh, man is is confronting a power beyond his understanding. And any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And so how do you talk about the power, the unimaginable power at the time of of high explosives that could split rock. It's like magic. And so it is given godlike imagery or fantasy-like imagery, showing great, you know, force and strength. So these are ads, these are early ads for industrial commodities where you're trying to tell a story about what is it I'm here to sell you? I'm here to sell you strength and sort of legendary power against the rocks, right? And so here we go. The the original dynamite product from Nobel's patent was, was dubbed giant dynamite. And the Hercules powder company who stole that formula, or essentially reproduced it, chose the word or chose the phrase Hercules because Hercules slayed the giant. The,
0: the, the rivalry is fascinating between these uh, two competing dynamite manufacturers. So before we get into this specific region of West Contra Costa County, Pinole and Hercules, I just wanted to briefly touch on a couple other explosives plants that migrated to the East Bay or popped up in the East Bay in the kind of late 1800s. Golden Gate Fields is one, the site of Golden Gate Fields currently, I should say, uh, in West Berkeley there. Wasn't there a dynamite plant located there for a while?
1: That's right, and that's my next book. (laughs) Is <laughs> yes, and what happened to that plant? In the late 19th century, the San Francisco Bay was dotted with many explosives factories. Hercules was the largest. Uh, Giant was the second largest. On what is now Point Pinole. there was uh, uh, Judson had a plant in Albany, uh, and another. There was another plant at Fleming Point, but. This is an industry that tends towards monopoly, and very shortly after they were established, they were acquired by other firms and ultimately got rolled up into the DuPont Trust. And is
0: it true that the eucalyptus grove at the base of uh, Albany Hill was planted there to mitigate the effects of potential explosion coming from a dynamite plant at the base of that landmark?
1: Yeah. And you can see on Albany Hill, the large eucalyptus trees. Those are typically planted to buffer uh, explosions that would happen inside the plant. There's a big stand of eucalyptus tree here. You can see them on Point Pinell. Now, eucalyptus is all over California for many reasons, but they were planted around these explosives factories to, to buffer the explosions that would occur from time to time. And how
0: effective were the eucalyptus, strands of eucalyptus trees at dampening the effects of these accidental explosions?
1: hard to say. It's just hard to say. Um, Better than nothing, huh? I guess better than nothing.
0: All right, so we know that the town of Hercules is named after the company that established the dynamite plant here. Can you tell me a little bit about the relationship between the town of Hercules and the company?
1: The company got its name from the product. The product was called Hercules powder. After they moved their dynamite factory, their works, from San Francisco to Contra Costa County Uh, and they acquired essentially all of the Refugio Valley here, so nine square miles or so of of land for their large production facility uh, far away from any habitation. They named the site, it was called the California Powder Works. So you have DuPont takes over California Powder Works in 1905. The railroad station located here was named Pounding Station after the first superintendent. After the takeover up by DuPont, the station was renamed Hercules, and that became the name of the place.
0: So this was like literally a company town. The town was the company and vice versa in in some respects.
1: The plant superintendent was the mayor and so this was a place that the uh, the ownership and everybody else wanted everybody to keep out of and stay away from. And uh, it was only in 1972, way after the decommissioning of the plant, that a general plan was adopted and residential development occurred and sort of normal private businesses, uh, you know, took the land uh, in the 70s. And so that's kind of the story. You've talked
0: about how uh all these different you know explosives plants were basically consolidated there was a rivalry right. dupont comes in right. and creates a monopoly right. and the u.s government takes a look at the fact that all the dynamite manufacturing on the west coast is controlled by this one company and says all hey over the country okay all over the country dupont right. is has a monopoly on explosives manufacturing what was the motivation for politicians to break up that monopoly why wasn't dupont able to use its massive corporate influence and power to protect its interests
1: theodore roosevelt so this was the progressive era so we've just been through an era of intense growth great nationalism frankly a lot of murder and death but a great expansion but also at the same time the same kind of forces that we see today towards concentration, restraint of trade, monopoly, were were causing a revolt. And so you have the Sherman Antitrust Act passed in 1890. One of its first uses was against the, what was called the Powder Trust. And so the Department of Justice filed a a suit in 1907 and actually was finished off in 1913. A, A final settlement occurred. And that's where the industry was essentially reorganized into um, three or four sort of major companies, major players. Assets were re- forcibly redistributed. And so this is a, an action that is uh, kind of unimaginable today, where the government would come in, seize a company, and then redistribute the assets to, to a different set of ownerships. Well, one of the lessons that public policy people learn from that experience is that the succeeding companies were all the same people. All of the boards of directors were the same guys, and so there was really no problem for them to just, you know, fix prices and change, you know, decide how much to invest, because they were all the same guys. So they were interlocking boards of directors, uh, and that was a failure in antitrust enforcement that has, you know, subsequently been remedied, you know, recognized and remedied. Anyway, that's the. Kind of the antitrust story here of how Hercules Powder Company, the Hercules Powder Company succeeded the California Powder Works as a name, the plant was still here. It was just under sort of same ownership.
0: Let's talk about the plant here. How big was it? What quantities are we talking about of explosives manufacturing? And also, like, what products were they uh, developing here? Was it just dynamite? What else were they making at this location?
1: This was 130 years of of history, and so there were a variety of things done on the site. Uh, Again, the, the city of Hercules is about nine square miles. The entire territory was the explosives plant, the Hercules works. In early years, there was some black powder, but also mostly dynamite. The late 19th century and well into the 20th century was an era of continued innovation in chemical engineering. Some of the chemicals that were produced here uh, include TNT, trinitrotoluene. Now, most Americans know TNT because it's what's on the box when Wiley Coyote blows up before he falls off the cliff. But TNT is an even more powerful explosive. It was invented in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, This was the largest explosives factory in the world in World War I. Wow.
0: I want to come back to the issue of... The explosives here being used in these various uh, wars and military conquests in a minute but before we get there i wanted to ask about the people who worked in hercules the, the the workers of the who were making manufacturing these explosives due to the fact that these works had a tendency to uh accidentally explode periodically was it difficult to find people to work in these kinds of operations? What kind of laborers were they recruiting um, for these uh, dangerous tasks?
1: Chemical manufacturing is not a particularly labor-intensive operation. At any given time, there were maybe 300 or 500, maybe at the peak, 1,000 you know, guys working here. And women, too, actually packing shells. It's not particularly difficult or, or hazardous until something goes wrong. The early chemical processes, uh, you know, to our eyes today were shockingly primitive and where you essentially are pouring hot acids into big lead lined tubs manually. And then we have a wonderful photo of a a guy with a 50-gallon can of nitroglycerin on a rubber-tired cart. And these were called angel buggies because uh, if they went up, you'd be with the angels. Uh, the number and size of explosions, you know, explosions and fires, um, uh, Jennifer actually tracked that. We actually looked at newspaper accounts and actually figured out how many were there and how many, how many injuries and deaths were there. It's, it's remarkably low for, for such a dangerous chemical. That's, you know, Everyone's a tragedy, but we think about 150 people over the life of the plant. Uh, lost their life. There's a, there's a quote from a foreman uh, from the late, uh, late 19th century that whenever an explosion occurred, that he would have no problem recruiting men to fill those empty spaces. Another important chapter, of course, is the role of the Chinese. The Chinese, uh, essentially large labor force here for the Transcontinental Railroad after the railroad was done, Chinese could only work in laundries restaurants, mines, and explosives plants. So that was an important important source uh, of of labor. And the old newspaper articles about explosions that you would read about the number of, of white people killed, and they would name them, and then there would be some number of Asians that had gone to meet the celestial gods.
0: Well, speaking of those explosions, there's a description in the book that I think does a good job at conveying the scale of how powerful these blasts were. One uh, caption talks about how a 1907 explosion at the Panole plant caused a stampede of cannery workers all the way over in San Francisco, you know, which is about, what, 30 miles or so from here, because they thought that the rumbling ground that was caused by this explosion was an earthquake. And this is one year after the, you know, great quake of 1906. They thought they were witnessing another massive earthquake, but it was really a dynamite explosion all the way over here in West Contra Costa County. I mean, that's just astonishing to uh, think about the power, you know, released by, of these chemicals when they were mishandled.
1: Frequently, Hercules is confused with Port Chicago because of that massive explosion. So it it's not. I mean, Port, Port Chicago was the loading of munitions onto a ship. This was an actual manufacturing site. So it's An explosion is, you know, a big spectacular event. People are interested in it and, you know, pay attention to it. But it really was not a sort of a major feature. It was just something that happened in the East Bay from time to time. And, you know, it was was more or less a fact of life. Um,
0: I just, it's... um insane really you know to think about what it would have been like to you know witness that or be a part of it i mean the newspaper accounts describe workers being blown to atoms you know not blown to pieces or blown to smithereens like you know literally atomized by the uh scale of you know these blasts that occurred on these sites and i know that uh one of the precautionary measures that was taken that you can still see up at Point Pinole is they would build these kind of earthen barriers around the different bunkers right. and, and factory sites where they were manufacturing the different components the explosives uh, in order to direct the blasts upward right. instead of outward, so everyone in the county wouldn't get their windows blown out when these places went up.
1: Right. So let's go back to the, to the, the Hercules works itself. By its nature... Explosives are manufactured in small quantities, small batches, and then stored and separated far apart. And so that's why you need uh, nine square miles in order to, to be a dynamite factory.
0: I know that the peaks and troughs of the business cycle right. um, of the uh, Hercules plant sort of rose and fell um, alongside what war we were fighting at the time. So you see the the plant really expanding operations around the time of World War I, for example, when uh, according to the book, the plant was making 7 million pounds of TNT per month, which was a third of all the TNT used by the U.S. during World War One, which is just an astonishing amount of uh, explosives. What about World War II? Do you know any, um, what role the uh, explosive plants around here played in that uh, war effort?
1: The Hercules plant in World War II uh, produced TNT and dynamite and other, other chemicals, explosive chemicals, for uh, manufacture by others into music, munitions. There was certainly a big spike in orders during the war, um, but there was a baseline of demand when, when there was no war for farming, mining, and other uses or explosives. All through this period of course there is uh, a lot of smart chemists are innovating in all different branches of chemistry and so you have uh, you have uh, in World War 2 the the beginning of the use of uh, ammonium nitrate and fuel oil as a uh, explosive and also the new plastic and liquid explosives with high power that are easy to place and waterproof and everything so there are new products um well, ammonium nitrate fuel oil, pour it down a hole, you'll get the same explosive effect as uh, dynamite that costs 10 times as much. Suddenly dynamite is no longer for everything. For specialized uses, uh, it, it's still produced and still used uh, for rock, and particular special uses. But there, after uh, a, a burst of activity after World War II, the demand for dynamite and the kinds of things that this plant produced fell off. And it was... Uh, uh, really the beginning of a long decline that, that led all the way to the closure of the plant in the 70s.
0: Can you take me through sort of what's been happening in the town since then? What did that decline look like? And then what's the post Hercules company era of the town of Hercules look uh, like in general? Right.
1: So it was became obvious to the to the ownership that this piece of land was more valuable as real estate than as a production facility. And so began the process of selling off. They thought they were going to be the developer for a while and then eventually sold it to a group of, of uh, home builders but with a general plan in 1972. It was a very good general plan. It was done by the firm SWA. And actually, if you sort of look at the town today that was built in the 70s and 80s, it really follows along the line of that Bay Area pattern of keeping the houses off the hills. And so it was a a well-designed, a well-planned city, a residential city that was built by production home builders, you know, for first home buyers.
0: But some of the homes here, like yours, for example, go back much farther than the 70s and 80s. Like some of the old homes that the workers at the plant used to live in were actually picked up and moved to this district that we're in right now, right?
1: That's right there were about 200 homes in the company town in at the turn of the century and in the uh, the seventies during the suburbanization period Uh, a group of activists Took action to uh, rescue and save some of the some of the homes, and so 20 were saved and placed on restored, placed on the National Register of Historic Places. And a total of 35 other structures were designated and saved in the uh, or designated for for restoration. 20 of them were restored the the homes here, uh, and so it enables uh, anybody to kind of take a little walk down history and feel what the the scale and what the the shape of of the company town was as well as some of the old buildings
0: what would you say is the legacy of the dynamite and explosives manufacturing industry on uh, this part of the east bay
1: each day we live in a world that is made possible a modern world that's made possible by uh, some chemicals that nobody handles and nobody really talks about too much anymore we're at a a point in the Bay Area where technology is king and people in the technology business talk about the technology stacks, right? So the application is at the top and then you've got the operating system and then you've got the hardware. Well, if you go all the way to the bottom of the stack, where did those materials come from? They came out of the earth. They could not have been taken out of the earth without the power of, of these chemicals.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important for people to remember that these iPhones aren't being manufactured up in the cloud somewhere. They're they're getting ripped out of the the bowels of the earth and that also something to think about is that some of the metals going into uh, these technologies that we take for granted now are uh, running out and are somewhat rare. So That's right. That is another topic.
1: So one more thing. Um, yeah. uh, the, you know, it's it's uh, exciting and kind of obvious to talk about explosions and you know manufacturing on all of that but the panama canal uh, think about the ships that come into the oakland harbor okay those many of those come through you know through the canal are certainly part of the worldwide commerce suez canal hoover dam all of the infrastructure when we talk about <laughs> infrastructure so it's all about moving material and today it's a it's a common thing it's unremarked on that we're going to grab a grab a mountain and turn it to our will well this is how this is how it's done
0: you know an- another thing I'm curious about is we- we've discussed about how the town of Hercules adopted the name Hercules from the company I'm wondering do you know if there's any other examples of that in the bay area or the east bay where a town is named after a company I'm, I'm just curious about that because I feel like it's something we're seeing more and more now where um for example the san francisco chronicle's architecture critic uh, john king just wrote an article mm-hmm. called goodbye san francisco hello brandopolis and he's talking about how corporate names are kind of taking over all these landmarks like the f- you know former site of the transbay terminal is now the salesforce transit center the new area around the uh, warriors arena is going to be called Thrive City. Uh, We've got, you know, Oracle Park, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Corporate brand names are really coming to dominate urban landscapes. And uh, Hercules just seems like a really early example of this.
1: Well, you know, here you have it. The company owned the town. The company owned all of the houses in the town and rented them out to the workers. And so it was really pretty simple. This place was called Hercules, and no one lived here.
0: And then when they did live here, it was the company that was setting up the kind of recreational facilities and the different, you know, softball teams and Cub Scout leagues and all these different things. They kind of uh, not only ran the uh, government and the infrastructure, but also kind of all these different levels of, you know, civic life as well.
1: That is a very interesting thread. The Hercules Company did provide a, a range of social and other activities for the town, uh, a clubhouse was established in 1898. Actually, the workers put together the money to do it, and the superintendent matched the funds to build a clubhouse. Uh, there's a, a bowling alley. There were fights. There were readings. There were all kinds of. There's a bar. There's all kinds of after work. Uh, because the the managers knew that if you have workers with nothing to do after work, then you got trouble. Um, the little town at the time, little town of Penol, is a short walk away. It's a kind of a half a mile away. I mean, all the bars, the grocery stores, the churches, the uh, uh, whorehouses, the bars and the stores were in, were in Pinole. So there was a deliberate, uh, deliberate plan and deliberate work done to create a community here uh, because it was uh, remote a little remote from from San Francisco and Oakland I've actually spoken to folks that have that lived here or had parents that lived here at the time and it was a, a kind of a little world unto itself and a very family oriented um, lots of fun to to be had and the you know the kids had a blast
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I mean, you know, depending on what angle you want to look at this uh, corporate benevolence from, you could see this as basically uh, effective management in terms of kind of stabilizing the workforce and kind of keeping people happy. Or if you want to maybe be a little bit more uh, critical about it, it was an effective way of basically pacifying the workers, right?
1: Well, I you know, I you see these these patterns keep coming back in the same system, okay? So what's the uh, today we have uh, Facebook uh, making meals every day for 30,000 servings. Facebook is cooking breakfast, lunch and dinner for its workers. Right, so how's giving people How's that any different right, from and a
0: giving people down? free massages and you know yeah. all these kind of uh, you know, the tech industry is famous for all these uh, perks and ways of keeping the workers not feeling too uh, bitter about spending so much time behind the screen in their office.
1: And the next step is uh, Facebook owns your house and you rent it from them.
0: (laughs) Oh boy, hope we don't get there uh, too soon. Steve Lawton, thank you so much for talking with me today on East Bay Yesterday. The book is called Hercules and where can people find it?
1: Uh, you can find the book everywhere. It's available on Amazon. You can buy it from the Hercules Historical Society on our website.
0: All right, I'm going to tell people to do that. Get the book Hercules at the Hercules Historical Society's website if you want to learn even more about the fascinating history of this uh, little town in northwest Contra Costa County. Thanks again, Steve. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Liam. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of East Bay Yesterday q and I've been your host, Liam O'Donohue. As you might have noticed, I've been putting out a lot more episodes lately. That's because I've been able to focus more on the podcast thanks to my Patreon supporters. If you want to keep hearing more East Bay Yesterday, go to my website, hit the donate link, and show your love with $3 a month or $5 a month or Whatever you can afford to give a little bit goes a long way. And I get really, really excited every single time I get a new patron. Okay. You can subscribe to East Bay yesterday on Spotify and pretty much all the major podcast apps, and you know what? A lot of those little podcast apps have is a share button. So if you like this episode, send it along to some of your friends or, you know, just tell them in person that works too. Uh, I'd be awesome. Uh, The original music that you heard in this episode came from local producer Justin Lee. Thank you, Justin, for the beats. And the theme song music came from Anatech. Thanks again for listening. I'll be back very soon with more episodes of East Bay Yesterday.